Well, good morning. morning. Hey, we are certainly glad that you are here with us this morning. We are going to get started here. Just a couple things I want to draw your attention to before we get started. First of all, um, my name is Shane. If I haven't met you, welcome. I'm one of the pastors here at Mountain View Fellowship, and we're really glad that you're here to worship with us. A couple things I want to draw your attention to. One is the cards that you'll find in the backs of the chairs in front of you. really want to encourage you to look at specifically two of those. The first is our Connect card. Whether you're here with us, just this, this is your first time with us, or you're here with us every week, if you want to uh, give us any information, this is a great way to do that. Uh, so if you want us to be able to connect with you and uh, find out, be able to find out more about what's going on in the church, or you have questions about anything, this is a great way to do that. Um, so fill that out, and you can either drop that in the offering, or you can bring it by the Welcome Center uh, before you leave, and we would appreciate that. And then the other is the prayer card, the blue one. Um, please, if you, no matter how big or small you have a prayer request here today, we encourage you to fill that out. Uh, share with us your prayer request. We have a group of people that want to pray for you, and uh, they would be happy to do that. Uh, if you need more, if you just really feel like you would like someone to pray with you, we have a team of people that will pray with you as well, and uh, you can find them at the end of the service towards the back. Uh, they would be happy to do that with you, and you can even bring the card to them, or you can turn those in as well. So a uh, couple announcements you will find in the bulletin. One is about baptism. So I know some of you are here. You're going to go and come into the class after church. We're going to have a baptism class at 1230 right here. In, in the sanctuary, want to encourage you, if you are getting baptized or if you have uh, a child that is going to be baptized, please come to the class. Um, we especially, uh, yeah, just, just come to the class. We need you to be at the class. Um, so <laughs> um, so uh, that'll be, it's about a 30-minute class. does not take a long time. I really want to encourage you to do that. And if someone, maybe you're thinking of taking that step, you have not signed up, um, but you're just, yeah, I, I really feel like it, I want to take that step. Just come to the class. Uh, Coming to the class does not make it where you have to be baptized. It's just a great way to find out more. Secondly, about baptisms, we're making a change. We were going to have the baptisms at Jordanelle State Park. We've changed that. Last week when we announced it, had two different people tell us that uh, they've changed their policy, and we didn't realize that, that we used to be able to get a bunch of cars in with our reservation. Now that is no longer the case. We only get one car in. So it's $15 a car uh, to go up there. And so we, we just decided, you know, if people wanted to invite their friends, it, it, it makes that hard. Oh, come watch me get baptized. Hey, it's 15 bucks. Um, you know, just, and, and it just might hinder some people from coming. So, and it just doesn't seem like a good use of money for us to spend $800 to $1,000 for us all to get in to go see the baptism. So we uh, were thinking about doing this anyway, so we're just going to co- pull the trigger this year and move the baptisms are going to be here at, on the property. So it'll be 1 o'clock. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. Um, uh, so glad some of you are excited about it. Good. Um, <laughs> the, uh, so it's going to be here at 1 o'clock. Uh, we'll still have the food. We'll still have hangout time and uh, time for uh, to play. And we'll have uh, some uh, little small worship set, uh, some open mic time. So it's going to be a great time. Really encourage you, come uh, next week the baptisms, stay, hang out, whatever it is, um, and be a part of that. So having said that, uh, my final announcement is this. Last week we announced uh, we're making a kind of a new policy change. Um, 
we, we the church has grown to a point where we have a lot of kids now, and so uh, and please, I said this last week too, this is not aimed at anyone specific. Don't take offense to it. Don't feel like we're talking to you because we're not. But um, when, when babies and small children are in the service, it just becomes disruptive. So what we're trying to do, now just so you know, Robbie and Ashley are babe dedicating Brielle every day. So, so, so uh, they know that. They're not like sitting here going, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so um, the, uh, it, it can become disruptive. So what we've done is we've, you'll, we've designated the last three rows, and there's some signs on there. Those are for families with small children. So if you want to bring your children, that's fine. Just we ask that you do sit in the back, um, and then we still ask you to pay attention, and if they become disruptive, to have them leave the, the, the room because um, we've, you might probably going to have to go with them when we do that um, because uh, <laughs> uh, we, we have had quite a few people that don't have kids or whatever that have just kind of said, oh, just get, I can't pay attention, I can't listen. And if you're like me as a parent, uh, I don't hear my kids. I have this special mechanism where I just tune them out. And I can, I'm like, whatever, you're talking. And I really don't care that much. Because, um, <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but uh, yes, it's a superpower. All about, but, uh, so, but a lot of other people don't have that. So, um, so please just uh, know that we're not trying to exclude anyone. We're just, we're just trying to be uh, conducive to the, the larger group. So that is that. With that, we do have a baby dedication today, which we are excited about. We are de baby ca dedicating the baby with the prettiest eyes I've ever seen in my life today. Uh, so uh, I'm going to have Briella come up with her mommy and daddy. And uh, what is she eating? A key. Yeah, okay. Um, and we are going, this is Ashley and Robbie. It, is it Robbie? Like, you go by Robbie? I call you Robbie. Okay, okay, good. I wanted to make sure. Um, and uh, they, and Briella is eight, eight and a half months old, is that correct? Okay. And uh, it's just been awesome to see their journey as parents as they have desired to raise her in the Lord and, and just seek to have her be someone who grows to honor God in her life. So, um, you know, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, before they led the, the Israelites into Israel, um, they were given this directive. They said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the doorframe of your houses and on your gates. And that passage, really what that is saying is that don't forget what God has done in your life and pass that on to your children. And when we dedicate children, that's basically what we're doing is we're saying it doesn't, it doesn't put some sort of special blessing over Briella. It's us as parents saying we are dedicating ourselves to, to raising our child in a way that will honor God, where, where she has the best opportunity to grow in love and to know him and to have a relationship with him and walk with him throughout her life. So I, I, I know that Robbie and Ashley are committed to that. I've seen them make uh, definite steps in their life to, to keep that focus uh, in their home and in their life. And, and they're, it's fun when you get to actually have the privilege of knowing the couple a little bit with when they, they do the baby dedication because uh, it just gives me a compliment that what you are saying today is something that you really hold to. So with that, I am going to ask you 
and you just repeat it. Uh, don't you don't have to repeat after me. Just when I'm done, you say we do. Okay, I'm going to ask you a commitment. Um, so that Briella may walk in a relationship with Christ, do you promise to guide her and to teach her to be an example of faith to her, giving her opportunities to learn and to trust him and make a decision to have a relationship with him? And finally, do you entrust her to God? If so, say we do. Okay. And, you know, it's not a Bible proverb, but there is a proverb that says it takes a village to raise a child. And we talked a few weeks ago about how we are the extended family of one another. We are the family of Christ. We're called brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need each other's help to support each other and come alongside each other in raising our children. And so, um, and I know Ashley and Robbie are open to that. And so I'm going to ask you as their congregation, their, their church, um, their assembly of believers to commit to helping them as well. So... Do you as a congregation promise to come alongside and support Robbie and Ashley, be praying for them, offering them love and guidance and support and giving them in any way that you have, that you have giftedness the tools to help them raise Briella in the Lord? If so, say we do. Okay, if she's going to let me, I'm going to try and hold her and pray over this. All right, let's, let's pray for Briella. Heavenly Father, I thank you for beautiful little Briella. God, we, we just lift her up to you. We ask that you just cover her with your spirit. We thank you for her family. We ask for guidance and covering for them. God, for strength for them as they desire to see her come to a relationship with you, a personal relationship in her own life where she knows and trusts you. God, uh, we pray for strength for them. We pray for humility. We pray for perseverance through the trials and struggles of raising children. And God, we just we pray that you have a special plan and purpose for little Briella, that she will grow to know and understand the more she knows and understands you and desires to serve you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. So we are having all sorts of technical difficulties today that I'm going to ask your patience with. One, the air was not working. The breaker had gone off. So I can already tell some of you are hot, okay? So we're going to be Baptist in here and just, you know, flip, flip, the, flip the fence. Um, you, you can even say a couple hallelujahs if you want to. Um, and, uh, and, um, and then my microphone wasn't working, so I've got a handheld mic. And then I, I lost my glasses this week, so you're going to see this a lot. Because okay, I can't see you. These are my reading glasses. And when they're on, I can't see you at all. And when they're off, I can't see this at all. So, so having said that, uh, we're we going to need some prayer. So let's do it. Um, dear God, uh, we, as, we, as we come together right now to open your word and to get, dig into what you have for us, I pray that your spirit just speak to us and guide us. Give us open hearts, God, to what you might have for each and every one of us. God, help us have a desire to seek you and know you in a personal way and to allow your word to transform us into the people that we desire to be through your spirit, God. 
We just give you our lives today. We give you this time. We ask that you be honored in it. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're in this series entitled Values to Live By. And so for the last four weeks, we've been looking, or the last three weeks, we've been looking at values of the church, like key things that we hold to as a church. So the first week we talked about family and how family is one of the ways that God works to do his will, but, but also how we want to be the extension of your family as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're called to come alongside each other, support each other. Then we talked about love and how the way we love in a godly way is to understand it's not about me. Right? Living that life, our life, understanding life is not about me. It's not about my purposes. It's about his. And then third, we talked about mission last week and how all of us are on a mission. Wherever God has us, we are on a mission. He has placed us there to serve him in ways that, that other people cannot serve him and, and to bring people to a relationship with him or at least giving them that opportunity to know him in ways that other people can't. And then finally today, we're going to talk about transformation. And, and transformation isn't a word we use a lot in our culture, in our society. So what does transformation mean? Well, if you look at the word transformation in dictionary.com, it says this. It's a marked change in appearance or character, especially one for the better. A marked change in appearance or character, especially one for the better. I would agree with that definition. And, and I think what God is concerned with is the transformation of the inside, the character, our hearts, who we are. Yeah, we live in a culture that focuses a lot on the transformation of the outside, right? Where, where we're constantly concerned with how we transform. I love looking at, I, I, this is a, I, did, I know this is a sick part of me. I love looking at botched celebrity plastic surgery. I'm sorry. I, 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 when I see that picture on the internet, I'm like, yeah, I want to see that. That cracks me up. Um, but, um, but, but it, it, we, we have this desire to be so transformed on the outside. There's, so, there's all these shows that are, are devoted to changing our outside. You know, making, making sure we're, we're good on the outside. And not very much focus in our culture if we think about, about what's really going on on the inside. About what's really happening in our hearts and who we are as people. Uh, one of my favorite things is those movies, those teenage movies where there's always that girl who is supposed to be the ugly girl that's going to be the hot one at the end of the movie. We, we, we all know that one, right? right? And, and we're all watching the movie going, yeah, no, 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 she's actually hot. I can tell she's hot. I, yeah, she has glasses on and her hair isn't done right and she wears a frumpy sweater and forgets to wear makeup. But as soon as you change that, she's going to be hot. And, and they, they make it like it's this big thing and, and then all of a sudden she, she comes down and the guys are all like this and we're all like, yeah, no, I saw that. I, I, we, we could tell that she wasn't ugly. I don't know how you thought we were hiding that, but it wasn't that. So, so we, you know, it's like this big theme, right? And it's all this focus on what's going on on the outside. You know, very rarely do they have the teenage movie about the girl that was just a total brat becoming a real sweet girl. Why? Because that's hard. That doesn't happen in an hour and a half. Um, <laughs> it's, it's tough. It's a lot harder to focus in here. It's easy to focus out here. And we spend a lot of our time in our society focusing on out here. And a lot of time is focused on the externals, sometimes even within the church. And oftentimes in the church, we get caught up in it. We get caught up in just the externals. You know, when we gather together on Sundays, we, we want to offer a comfortable atmosphere to people. We want to do things in a way that doesn't make people feel uncomfortable to a certain extent. 
You know, we, our, our motto is here, we'll offend people with the gospel, but nothing else. You know, we, we'll, uh, we, the gospel is plenty offensive, and the gospel is really difficult for people to grab onto. So, so we'll offend them there, but, but with everything else, we, kinda, we try to make it comfortable. Why? Because we want people to have open minds and open hearts. And we live in a culture that the reality is you've got to have a certain level of professionalism or people turn their minds off to things. It, it, you know, you got to have a certain level. People expect to be able to come to a, a public place and sit in a comfortable chair. So we have comfortable chairs. Right? Where people expect to be able to come to a public place and maybe enjoy some coffee or a refreshment. And, but we have it. You know, they expect things to match, you know, and have things. So we, we, we try to do that. Um, so, <laughs> but, but the point is, we do those things. But the problem is, a lot of times as the believers, we get stuck there. We get stuck in that external side of things. And oftentimes we see even Christ followers getting stuck and worrying about the externals to the point where they sacrifice the real truth of their faith. See, as Christ followers, we, our experience of how we're doing as a church should not be based on whether or not we like the style of the worship. Our Christ, as Christ followers, it shouldn't be based on whether or not we had coffee that Sunday. Our experience shouldn't be based on whether or not the sermon hit at home for us. It should be based on rather on whether or not we see the spirit of God moving within the church body as a whole. You know, as, as, we, as we see, is, is God working? Are we seeing lives being changed? Are we seeing people grow in his likeness? See, oftentimes we wind up getting in a rut in our faith that goes through the motions because we're so caught up in those externals. We seem more concerned about the wor- how the worship man sounds than whether or not our hearts and our lives reflect the words that we're singing. We're willing to let our marriages and our families fall apart because we're more worried about how they look than how they're doing. And we focus on a list of do's and don'ts rather than allowing and God to work in our hearts and submitting ourselves to him. See, I, I, transformation, the reason we value this as a church is because it is one of the key signs of a true believer. That, that fruit would show in their life. The Bible speaks of our lives being transformed, not from in, from the outside in, but rather from the inside out. So if you've got your Bibles, open them to Romans chapter 12 today. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. And let's look at one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Romans chapter 12. Verse 1 through 2 says this. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, now, this is one of those passages of Scripture that, for me, has weeks of stuff that we could chew on. We could take a week just talking about what it means to, to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. We could talk a week for just about God's mercy. We could talk just about uh, being con- um, transformed versus conformed. We could talk about God's will. We could spend a six-week series here. But what I'm hoping to do today is just help us see, when we look at this value of transformation, 
Why should we be seeking to be transformed? How do we do that? What does that look like in our lives? And then finally, what God's promise is for that. What, what, what the value is in it. See, this passage combines two areas of the Christian life that I think we have a tendency to separate oftentimes as Christ followers. So we have a tendency to speak of discipleship and worship as though they're two separate things. And I've even seen a lot of people who have a total passion and heart for worship. They kind of, they're like, oh, discipleship, kind of, that, that stuff, they scares me a little bit, you know. They start talking about, like, words like justification and predestination. I, I don't know. And I just, I just, like, this feels so good, you know. And then on the other side, we got people in the, the love the discipleship aspect of things, right? And, and they love getting into digging into what's right and wrong and what do we know and all that. And, and they kind of, the worship is kind of like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I know there's people in the church that enjoy that, so we'll do that and we'll sing. But, yeah, I don't know, this is, it's touchy and feely and there's emotions. So, so we kind of, we have like two extremes. But the reality is, is what we see from this passage is that they are in no way separate. They're completely intertwined. And the problem, I think, is because we focus on the externals. We're focusing on the externals versus what's really happening on the inside. See, this morning, what I would like to propose is that discipleship and worship are two very intermixed qualities of our faith. And that the true disciple is someone who is passionate about worship. They don't have to be an expressive person, but they're passionate about worshiping God. And a true worshiper, a passionate worshiper, is someone who seeks to be a godly disciple. <coughs> so, let's break that down. Why, how does that work? What does that look like? And, and transformation is the key to all of it. So let's look at why. Why should we seek to be transformed? We should do it in response to God's mercy. We seek to be transformed in response to God's mercy because God is so gracious and so merciful to us. See, as we, as we look at this passage, what's the first word of this passage? Someone say it. Why? Does it say why? Doesn't say therefore? Okay, therefore. Okay, therefore. The first word of this passage is therefore. Now, if you've ever studied the Bible at all, you've probably heard this statement. Anytime you see the word therefore, you have to ask what it's there for. Okay? So anytime you see the word therefore in any kind of document, you should ask that. You know, if you read a legal document that says, therefore, and it has stuff on it, know that you missed something above that that you better read because it, it probably has a, it, they can coincide. So, so when you see the word therefore, he's, what he's doing is he's connecting this thought to the prior thought. And so what Paul is saying is, is therefore, in view of God's mercy. Well, where did we read about God's mercy? In chapters 1 through 11. If you read Romans, which if you're looking for something to read, by the way, in the Bible, and you're kind of you're kind of spot, you don't read Romans. Read Romans like ten times. It's a, Romans is a great book of the Bible to really dig in and understand how God works and his and his heart and his mind and how he and how he desires to be in relationship with his people. But in Romans one through eleven, Paul is explaining God's great mercy and love for his people, and so he's saying, look, in view of that. This should be your response. Let, let's just look at a few things that Paul says in Romans. Uh, Romans. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 and 8 through 8. He says, 
You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He points out that even though we are all sinners and have nothing to offer God, he chose to show us mercy and grace. Look at chapter 3, 10 through 12. He says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There was no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have, turned, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. What Paul is saying is, look, no matter how good you think you are, you've never been good enough. No one, no one is truly good. Everyone, everyone falls. And yet, God still loves us. He goes on in verse 21, and he says this. He says, but now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness, where does our righteousness come? It comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. See, he's constantly explaining God loves us so much that he gave everything for us. And even when we had nothing to offer him, we... We, we, we had nothing of value for him, and yet he loves us. He, I love the definition he gives of God's love in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. He says, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, he wants, he, he goes into detail regarding the work of Christ on the cross, explaining to us how all of humanity can now walk with God and be in relationship with God through the cross and the resurrection. He, he, he says in, um, I'm sorry, in chapter, oh, chapter 8, verse 1 through 4, he says, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. See, He's over and over and over repeating God's great mercy, God's great grace, his great love for us. And so now he gets to chapter 12. And he says, in view of that, in view of that great mercy, we should be offering ourselves. We should be being transformed. See, because Paul knows our sinful nature will always default to relying on the law. He knows that that's the way we go. That's the way we always turn. See, and so if you read chapters 12 through 15, what he's going to start doing now is giving us what it looks like to be a living sacrifice for God. He's giving us some guidelines for that. And so he's saying, before I get into these rules, why should we be doing this in view of God's mercy? Because he knows what we would normally do is say, oh, God, Paul's giving us some rules. But he said the law is gone. Oh, what he must mean is this. The old laws are done, and now here's these new laws. And we're going to sit there, and we're going to make checklists, and we're going to see if we're following all his laws and all the rules, because that's our default. We love to go back to the rules and the laws. That's how we work. Why? Because in our pride, we love to measure ourselves against other people. That's how, that's how capitalism is born. That's, that's, I mean, that's, that's how it all works together. And there's, I'm not saying that there's an evil or, or whatever to that. I'm, I'm just saying that it, 
it works because we love to see how, how good we can get at things. I'm, I'm a competitive person. The reason I'm competitive is because I like to say I beat you. That's why I do that. That's why I work hard. That's, that's my nature. It's my nature to, you know, be able to tell my son, I still beat you at wrestling, even though you're like almost like a Navy SEAL guy. I don't know. So, um, but but I, that's who I am. And that's how we are in life. We love to compare. We do that all throughout things. You know, we, our kids do that. I love it. It's, it's, some, it's surprising to me how surprised parents are by how kids work. Um, you know, um, my, my kids want all sorts of stuff only because other people have it. And most kids do. All kids do. All kids have stuff, want stuff, because they see a friend with it. Now, you know that's a stupid thing, and they don't need it. They're not going to use it. And, you, and we as parents say, oh, well, you shouldn't want that just because. And, and it, yet sometimes you hear parents talk, and it's like this big surprise that their kids want stuff because other people have it. You know what? You do too. We're just much better at making it sound like it's not that way. You know how many things I have bought because someone else had that later on I went, that, why do I even have that? And I get rid of it because it, it didn't, wasn't, I didn't need it. They might have needed it. I didn't need it. It's not, it's not bad. They have it, but I didn't need it. But I went out and bought it anyway because it looked cool. Right? We do that. We're constantly comparing. Is my house as big as someone's? Is my car as nice as someone's? Do I get to go on as good of vacations as someone? It's called Facebook. Um, we, you know, we, we, we constantly like, did I do this? And they're doing that. And look at, and, and that's just, that's how we live. And we bring that right into our faith. And we constantly want to check off. Am I doing okay? How am I doing? Am I doing as good as everyone else? Am I more righteous than anyone else? That's just how we work. And Paul knows that. So he says, no, we're not seeking to turn ourselves over to God so we can be better than other people. We're seeking to turn ourselves over to God in view of how much he loves us. See, as one who loves us completely, God desires for us to respond, not out of obligation to him, but out of love. That, that, that's how God loves. Imagine for a minute, you loving someone wholeheartedly, sacrificially, absolutely, 110% committed to just giving everything to loving this person. Imagine that. And then imagine their response being, hey, I can tell you really love me. And because you really love me, I, I feel like I should, I'm going to do something back. So could you just tell me, give me a list of like 10 things that make you feel loved. Could you just give me that list and I'll, I'll, I'll check that list off. Oh, you want to be told you I love you every day? Sure, I can do that. I'll, okay, I'll make sure I tell you I love you every day. Oh, you want me to spend 15 minutes or so a day with you? Okay, I, I can do that. Um, oh, you, you want me every now and then to just get away and spend time with you? Okay, you know, I can do that. How often? Like, do we need to do that once a week, once a month? How, what's your, like, when are you going to feel like you're not being loved? I mean, can you imagine that? How would that feel? Would it feel like that person just is, is sacrificially wanting to give themselves back to you? Or would it feel like they're kind of out of obligation? They say, wow, man, you really love me, so I guess I should do something back. Right? And you see, once they're checking the list, they kind of go, well, maybe, I, I, should I tell him I love him again today? Well, I already did this morning. There's no reason to do that again today, right? Should, you know, should I take her out this week? We've got some extra time to take her out. Well, I took her out last week, and she said once a month. That's fine, so I'm not going to worry about that, right? That, see, see, God gave himself completely to us, and he's simply saying, Can you re- would you love me the same? Would you return that love for me? It's not about a checklist. It's about 
submitting ourselves to him. So that gives us to our next point. In view of God's mercy, what do we do? How, how do we become transformed? We do it by offering ourselves as a sacrifice to God. We offer ourselves as a sacrifice to God. And when, when that happens, our n- minds become renewed. See, offering ourselves to him is the key to renewing our minds. You can't have God's mind until you offer yourself to him. You can't do it. See, what Paul's saying is in view of God's unending love, it only makes sense that he longs for us to offer ourselves to him completely. Wouldn't you? If you gave someone your unending, unchangeable, sacrificial, complete love, wouldn't you just desire them to love you that same way? It only makes sense. See, Jesus prayed in John 17. He, if you read John 17, it's the prayer that Jesus said before he went to the cross. And that whole prayer, if you read that, you're going to read a word over and over and over again. It's the word want. Because Jesus' prayer was, he constantly says, Father, may, may, you, may I be in you and you be in me. May we be one. And may, may they be one. And may they be one with you as I am in you. And it's just this constant circle of him saying, can we all be one? May, may that be what we seek to achieve. Why? Because that's the heart of God, that we be one with him. And yet, here's the deal. You can't be one with God until you learn to submit to God. We can't be one with God until we surrender to him, until we offer ourselves to him. See, as long as we're trying to do it our way, it doesn't work. In order to be renewed in our mind, we have to be one with him. And in order to be one with him, we have to be in submission to him because nothing can be above God and still be in accordance with him. I'm going to give you a little hint on how God thinks. And some of you are going to be, you're going to not like the way God thinks. Guess what? He doesn't care. Did you know that? Um, some of you don't like the way God thinks, and that's okay. Some of you, we, and probably most of us, we kind of know that's how God thinks. But it bugs us because we kind of think maybe he's wrong. And, and maybe he doesn't understand the circumstances at, at this particular time in life and all these kinds of things. But here it is. And if you understand this and you can live with this and just Man, have it. You, life, you'd be amazed at how life will go with you and how God will reveal himself in his promises to you. But if you fight against this thought and the way, this, the way God thinks, you're, you're going you're to notice you keep fighting. And then this is it. This is the, it's pretty simple. God thinks he's more important than you. God thinks he's greater than you. God thinks he is first all the time. And he thinks his will trumps yours all the time. See, God, that's how God thinks. We don't have to like how God thinks. We don't have to agree with how God thinks. I, I have a lot of people say, well, God and I have an understanding. No, you don't. You have a misunderstanding with God. God understands. He's number one. And you're misunderstanding it and trying to be number one and wondering why you're constantly fighting with God and why, th- why, why you constantly feel out of God's will. God knows he's number one, and that's, and you're not, God is stubborn. You're not going to change his mind. You're not going to change his mind. So, see, until we learn to understand that, we, we have, we misunderstand what worship is. But when we understand that, when we understand that God is number one, then that creates a worship heart in us. 
it creates a desire to worship him. Because we see that, that I, I, my normal response should be to surrender to him. And that's worship. See, once again, when we focus on the outside, we forget what worship is. When we're, you know, praise and singing and playing instruments and shouting and all those things, those are not necessarily worship. They are mentioned as acts of worship. They're mentioned as they're ways that we express our worship to him. But worship is the condition of our heart. Worship is the, what's happening here. See, if, if we're Christ followers, we need to be less concerned with the style of a song and more concerned about the condition of our hearts. Are our hearts reflecting the words that we're singing? Worship is when we honor God, and on, God is honored when our lives reflect him. That's how God is honored. When I've got great honor as a dad now that my kids are getting older. Um, and some of the way things that happen, um, things that I see, when I see my kids reflecting the good things about me, and there's lots of things about me I do not want my kids doing, and they still reflect those, unfortunately, as well. Um, but I'm not all good like God is all good. But when on, on the things I have worked hard to be and, and seek to do, when I see my kids reflecting that, that's honoring to me. And sometimes when I've even complimented them on things and they say, well, Dad, we, we learned that from you guys, I'll tell you, man, that they could get me gifts all day long. They, they could, you know, do something for tell me they love me all day long. Nothing honors me like when they reflect the parts of me that I, I want to pass down. That's what honors me. And it's neat when your kids get to that age where they, they, they start to do that. We need to honor God. That's how we worship him. And you see how that just goes right in line with being a disciple? See, we have that same misunderstanding of discipleship. We, we get caught up in the outward appearance. So when we get caught up in the outward appearance, we, when it comes to discipleship, all we do is we focus on knowledge. We think the more someone knows, the more of a disciple they are. Right? But that's not what a disciple is. Did you know that? That's not what a disciple is. You, and you've heard me say this before if you've been here when we talk about any kind of discipleship aspect. But I love this prayer. The prayer of the early disciples when they followed a rabbi was this. Lord, may the, the dust from my rabbi's feet land upon me. What they're saying is, may I walk so closely with them that, that their dust that they stir up lands on my feet. And they weren't, that wasn't a prayer of proximity. It was a prayer of, may I be as much like them as I can be. May I, may I follow in their ways as, well, as I can follow. It had nothing to do with how much they know. Now, obviously, you have to know the mind of God to be able to follow God. But I think we get too caught up. We get too caught up in all these different things. I, I don't think God's going to care whether or not we're predestinationalists or Arminian or Calvinist. I, I don't think he's going to care. I think he's going to say, yes, what? You are all wrong in some way or another. I think he's going to say, did you know me? Sure, you might have known a lot of stuff about how you think I thought because you read the way this person wrote that, blah, blah, blah. You know, but, but did you really know me? See, I got the, 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 the best example I've got of that that I've carried my life, my whole life, was when I became a father. Let me turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. I love this verse. Matthew chapter 18, verse 2 through 4. He says this. This is Jesus talking, and, he, and he's talking to his disciples. He's trying to get it through their heads. 
what it is he's looking for. And he says this, he called a little child, and he had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And I, I don't think I understood that verse until I had my son, David. Now, my girls, I've got great relationship with all my girls, and they, they you know, want to be in some ways like their dad. But David, when he was three years old, man, I was his world. You know, he's 21 years old now, um, so a lot, 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 lot has changed. But when he was three or four years old, I was his world. When I walked through the door, David's day got better, right? And if I liked it, David liked it. He would come in and, at, like, look to see how I was dressing that day, to see if he can dress, like, somewhat like I was dressing. And when I mowed the lawn, David had a little lawnmower, a little plastic lawnmower, and he would push that lawnmower around all the whole time. He would work out in the yard the whole time with me. He, he would, when I go to Home Depot, he would go to Home Depot, and he would try to act like he knew what he was looking, kind of like I do, kind of act like he knew what he was looking at. And, and so um, he, he, would, he would try to be like me in every way. And he adored being around me. It, it, it made his day. And I thought, that's what God is looking for. See, the problem is, someone could have interviewed me. If, say, for some weird reason, someone wanted to write a book about me, they could interview me and they could ask what all the things I think and how, why, what made me think that, learn my history, all that stuff. And then someone could read that book, and they could read that book ten times. And they could try to memorize how I think and what, you know, my philosophies on things and, and you know, make up big, long words for how I think and all that kind of stuff. And you, you could talk to that person, and you could think, wow, that person really knows Shane. No, they don't. They know about me. David knew me. See, that's what God wants. David wouldn't have, at four years old, he couldn't have told you why I think certain things. He couldn't have told you what made me do, do certain things about my history, any of that. Well, he could tell you he loved being with Dad. And he could tell you he wanted to be just like Dad. And I think, when I read that verse, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to put yourself aside and want to be like me. You've got to want to be with me. You've got to want to really know me. You see the difference in, in, in memorizing a bunch of things and, and, and really what it means to know him? But you know what? That's not a process that can be achieved by checking off lists and jumping through hoops. It just can't be. Love doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. We, we need to just want to please him and love him. And that's what he's looking for. And only through giving ourselves to him can we be transformed. Can he work, do a work in us. You can't live for someone else on your terms. You just can't do it. You can't commit yourself to someone and say, hey, I totally committed to you. You, you have my heart 100%, but let me tell you, there's two days a week that I really kind of don't want you around. And, you know, here's, here's how this looks. I'm going to be this way. Don't ask me to change. Um, you know, I, I like things this way, so you got to kind of work around me on that. You can't do that. That's, a, that's not holy living for someone. God gave everything, and that's what he's asking, is that we seek to return it. But here's the cool thing. There's always a promise. Did you know everything God asks of us, there's a promise with it? And the promise is this. Then when we do that, we will know his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We will know his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
See, the more we are transformed in his likeness, the more we become one with the Father. Jesus prayed for unity. And when we are one with him, we know his mind. We know his heart. When we're reunited to him, that's when we begin to really know his direction in our life. Paul says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. See, this world does not have the mind of God. That's not talking about work to be different from the world. It's not, it's not saying do everything you can to be different. It's saying, see, the pattern of this world is in no way to lay ourselves down before God. The pattern of this world is to build your own kingdom. So to not be conformed, to, be, to, be, to be go against the flow, if you will, is to lay ourselves down before him. It's not about working hard to look different. It's about learning to be submissive because that is completely against the pattern of this world. And it doesn't happen through effort. It happens through seeking through learning to just be with him, to submit to him. And the problem is this. See, I have people come and ask me God's will. They're like, they're trying to figure out God's will. Have that happen all the time. And really, if we're really honest, most of the time when we're asking God's will, we're doing it with a self-centeredness. We're not really wanting God's will. What we're wanting is how to know how to make my life go better. We're wanting, how, how can my life go better? Not how can I serve God's purposes but more. So one of the first things I do is, where are you serving? You want to know God's will for your life? Start serving. Start serving regularly, not like every once in a while you volunteer for something. Serve. Learn to be a servant. You can serve at work. I'm not saying you have to do it. But really, do you go to work with that mindset of, I'm going to serve wholeheartedly as a serving the Lord? Wherever you go, you serve. Because, because until you learn to lay yourself down, and not do what you want to do with your life all the time, you will never learn to know God's will. You, you can't. See, we, we want God's will to just make our life better. His will is not about our life being happy. It's about His will being accomplished. And not just in our life, but rather through all of creation under heaven. See, when we take ourselves off of the throne and we place God there, that's when we begin to see His will. Because we're serving his good and pleasing and perfect will. See, as long as you're on the throne, his will does not always look that great. His will does not always look that pleasing. Why? Because it's not serving my will. If God would just learn to start serving my will, I would be, I would be in his will. But that's not the way it works. So we have to take ourselves off the throne so that his will begins to become good and pleasing and perfect in our life. When he's on the throne... His will will begin to look good in our life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you um, for your good, pleasing, and perfect will. And God, I know in my life, the more I learn to quit beating my head against you, the more I learn to stop trying to be number one, the more you reveal yourself to me. And the more my life just seems fall into your hands and I'm able to trust that those hands care for me more than I can care for myself. It doesn't always go my way. It doesn't always look good, especially in the short term. You continue to reveal yourself. God, this is that's a tough battle for most of us. As easy as it is, it's just one thing to do. It's tough because it goes against who we are. And 
in our sin. It goes against everything the world constantly is telling us. So God, I, I just pray right now for anyone in here that's struggling with this, that just knows that's what I need to do, but I don't know how I, I'm, I'm struggling through it. God, help them not to do it alone. Help them to use the, the, the body to, to, seek, to help seek you and surrender to you. In your name we pray.